there's definitely going to be some blood in the streets. There's definitely going to be, you know, we've seen a couple high profile foreclosures in Houston. So, you know, there, there's certainly going to be some headlines, but, you know, largely I think it's going to be an orderly market. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane. My great wealth listeners, if you own and manage real estate, maybe you're ready for a lifestyle change. By selling your real estate, of course, you may have to pay substantial capital gain taxes. One option that may help you solve this is to learn about doing a 1031 tax-deferred real estate exchange because you may be able to defer all of the capital gain taxes and you could even exchange into a replacement property that may allow you to get rid of all of the headaches that are involved with being an active landlord. My friend Ray Druitt is a managing director with Bangerter Financial Services and his goal is to help you understand all of the rules associated with 1031 exchanges. To learn more, you may call him directly at 801-312-9482. Once again, it's 801 801- 312-9482, or you may visit his website at 1031.bangerterfinancial.com slash 1031guy. Please be sure to see disclosures in the show notes. Welcome back, my great to wealth listeners. Today, we're going to be talking to somebody who is an ex-Wall Street guy. He lived in New York and now is passionate about tax saving, passionate about investing, passionate about creating wealth for others and helping others take the benefits of the investments the way he is doing it. His name is Jack Krupe. Jack, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, man, of course. I know you and I talked for over 20 minutes uh, before here, so I'm really looking forward to this conversation that we forgot to hit record when we talked about a lot of great stuff. I'm really sure that, that this conversation, I'm really looking forward to this conversation and hoping to add a lot of value to our listeners here. So Jack, before we go deep into your story and what you do, Help me understand what do you, when you hear the term migrate to wealth, what does that mean to you? I think about that as just figuring out a plan to reach your goals. Everyone's goals are different. Some people actually like their job and or are passionate about something in their career and they want to do it until they're maybe a little older, but most want to build for their family, for their retirement. Many others are not happy with what they're doing and, and want to change their lifestyle and reclaim their time. Because wealth isn't always about how much money you have specifically in the bank. It's you also have your time and your freedom. I think all those together really combine to be truly wealthy. Jack, you hit the nail on the head. It's what is your plan and let's figure out how to get there. So I love that. So Jack, let's talk about several years back when you were still at the Wall Street. What did wealth mean to you at that point? Yeah, so that was a crazy ride in general because I didn't set out to get into Wall Street. I was just a real estate entrepreneur and we'd done a lot of the traditional fix and flip, wholesaling, buying, short sales. And when 2008 happened, Wall Street needed real estate people because they were buying portfolios of loans and none of the bankers knew what to do with them. So they needed people who'd been on the other side of things. At the time when I got started, when it was after 2008, anyone who was in real estate, very few of us got out completely unscathed. It was at a point where I was at a low point to, to begin with. And it was really for me about just like rebuilding and just figuring out how to rebuild my own wealth. And that meant diving into this Wall Street culture, which a lot of people were just brought up differently there. Those that worked at major investment banks and you sit chained to your desk for 80 to 100 hours a week. That was was the culture there. So while I had an incredible run and we had a, a ton of success, I also just wasn't happy. So even though I was making more money than I ever thought I would be making, 
I didn't feel wealthy, especially you add 50% tax rate in New York City and expensive cost of living to it. And it really, it's really hard to feel wealthy when you're still, you still feel stressed. What you keep changes drastically depending on where you live, what your expenses are. And I know since then you have migrated to, uh, to Puerto Rico. Help us tell us that story because I think it seemed like in your, from, from the life you were living, the two, there were two biggest problems. One is you were working a lot more than you had and you're paying a lot of taxes and, and the expenses in general, but taxes for sure, as you mentioned. So was Puerto Rico a move to avoid that or to, to solve that problem? It, it definitely contributed to it. So I knew a few people who'd moved a few years earlier and, and Puerto Rico does have an incredible tax program. If you're a resident of Puerto Rico, you do not pay federal income tax. Yeah. And however, a typical lawyer in Puerto Rico, if you're just born there and you were just working, the tax rate in the territory of Puerto Rico was 33%. So it really wasn't that different for those historically, but the government of Puerto Rico, because there was a net out migration, there's actually more Puerto Ricans live in New York City and Orlando than on the island of Puerto Rico. So their population was declining. So they created these tax incentives to uh, recruit people to the island. And that included an Export Services Act which a lot of fund managers, consultants, internet marketers, there's a lot of fields that qualify and they only charge a 4% tax rate. And that there's no federal, just 4% to the territory of Puerto Rico. And on top of that, there was a separate act called Act 22, which has no short-term or long-term capital gains for stock traders, options traders, cryptocurrency, a lot of those, uh, those people were drawn to the island because of that. It was certainly a big part of it for me to move there. And it's, this is a, a very high level explanation. There's a lot of intricacies yeah. uh, of what constitutes Puerto Rico sourced income. For example, real estate itself, rental income is still taxed in the US, but because of the depreciation and all the other tax benefits inherently of real estate, the taxes are very, very reasonable because often, often I'm showing a loss on paper, yeah. but what really keeps me in Puerto Rico is the community. There's thousands of entrepreneurs that move there. Um, there, there's a, a thriving local scene. I've met a lot of local professionals and friends that I've gotten to know as well. But the mainland, I don't want to say expat because it's still a U.S. territory, but the group of entrepreneurs who have migrated to Puerto Rico in the last five years is incredible. And it's like joining a country club, but not having to pay a six-figure membership fee. You're, right. you're getting right. potentially a six-figure discount on your taxes. That, that's the amazing part. And that's what's keeping me there. The people, the local people, the weather except for hurricane season, but this year, fortunately, no major issues this year, but it, it's an incredible place. It's like one of the few, there's really nothing like it in the world, I'd say. I love that. Like next time I get to Puerto Rico, I got to come hang with you. I love Puerto Rico. We've been there many times, but I'd love to see it from a local perspective now because I consider you as a local there now. You've been there for five years? Yeah. yeah. Five years. It's time is flying. Fly. Obviously, COVID years. Yeah, I think yeah, I think everyone, the COVID years went, it went pretty quick for me just because I think back now and it seems so long ago, even though it was only a few years ago. Correct, correct, correct. Jack, let's fast forward now. Let's come back to the, the, the current present now. What are you doing now? I know you have since left Wall Street and are you still in real estate? Give us a little bit of perspective on where you are on your journey to wealth right now. Sure. While I was on Wall Street, I'd started investing in syndications passively, multifamily apartments, mobile home storage. I never... I was never a big stock market guy, so I always just thought there were superior returns out there in, in syndications. And up until 2012, it was really very difficult to advertise. You really could only offer to your yeah. current work. But then with, with some of the rule changes, I, I became very aware of syndications. And for me, while I was in New York, it was a tax-efficient way to invest because I was showing a loss on paper. However, I was still right. getting cash flow in my pocket. 
So once I, I left the firm, I ended up getting bought out. I had a decent amount of my own money to invest. And a few of the groups I was working with, just as a passive investor, basically approached me to invest with them and potentially raise money. Because when I was on Wall Street, I could never take outside money. We had private equity backer. It was like $10 million minimums. And it was like pension funds and real large family offices right. and institutions. I'd had investors that wanted to invest in, in us and couldn't. So I really wanted to open up that vehicle to, to investors uh, like me that were just looking for alternatives to the stock market. And so we have two different funds right now. One of them is a diversified fund where we invest generally every month in the best syndication opportunities I see that are available. And we've invested over time with 40 different, over 40 different syndication partnerships. So we've got really good deal flow from trusted partners and provides tax efficient investing. The first few years, you generally show a loss on paper from the appreciation. However, you get quarterly distributions. And for someone who's newer to investing, if my, my real value proposition is if you're going to put 50 or 100,000, which is typically the minimum, do you want to pick one deal with one operator or do you want to be diversified across men? Quack. And so that's the thesis for that fund. And we, we also launched about a year ago, another platform, which functions a little more, it's, uh, it's called a customizable fund. It, it almost looks like a crowdfunding platform, but it's actually a, an, its own private placement. And we have individual opportunities that we've opened to investors just because I, I found some of my investors, especially the, the tired landlords that know real estate, they've been in it, they own a bunch of properties and they want to slow down. They don't want to buy another property at this right. point. They want to be more passive. And, and we've helped many investors get more passive and informally, I'm not a financial advisor by any means, but I've helped a lot of advice, given a lot of free advice on how to structure, say a 1031 exchange and sell your property into a syndication property yeah. so that you can defer your taxes and then get into a passive income opportunity. Plus just a lot of the depreciation. Yeah. I think, think, think a, lot of, a lot of people, when they're in the trenches, you don't really have the time to focus on the taxes. And just part of my job right now, part of my role is to be consistently figuring out the, the most efficient tax opportunities. And because I travel to so many masterminds and events, I'm, I'm exposed to, I'm the eight bird dog, if you will, for all this information that's available for and I could bring it back to those in my tribe that are still busy, still working full-time jobs or busy with their own businesses and just don't have the time to do all the research. Correct. No, I think that makes sense. And thank you, Jack. I think you and I are cut from the same cloth. And I love hearing a lot of stuff that I tell my investors. It's basically a similar story. Let's actually take a look into what's happening right now. What are you seeing from your investors, the concerns that you're seeing, and how are you addressing them? Because there's no, it's no secret from, for, it's not, no secret for anyone that the capital markets are in turmoil, the interest rates are going up, nobody knows what's going to happen, everyone has a hot thesis, what's going to happen in the next few months, four months, three months, or about a year, and 50% will say interest rates are going to continue to go up, 50% will say interest rates are coming down. One of them is going to be right. Nobody knows who, right? So there's a lot of confusion in the market, noise in the market. So how are you looking at deals differently now to account for this turmoil, to make sure that your own money and your investors' money who are investing alongside of you is protect downside. So give me a little perspective and investment thesis of how you're looking. Yes. Yeah, so the one thesis has been the same across is that we want to work with very experienced operators that it wasn't their first rodeo, loved ones that were around before 2008 as well, because to some of you had to live it. If you didn't live the real estate crash, it's really hard to, to be fully prepared. So just being with a top tier operator that didn't need to stretch to do a deal that didn't make sense 
that helps a bit. With that said, we're in our first fund, we're in a number of deals that had bridge loan debt. And obviously hindsight is 2020, but there were a fair amount of benefits of bridge loan debt, especially no prepayment penalties. And you could often build in your rehab budget into the loan on draws. So it would allow you to, to, you just need to raise as much money from investors because you get your rehab budget back. With that said, the larger the operator, the, I think the more banks will work with them. Our largest operator that uh, has bridge loans just received two modifications in the last 30 days. We're seeing that the deals that are starting to have challenges, the banks are starting to play ball and we're actively monitoring their portfolio. And fortunately, we have a lot of fixed rate debt uh, on the portfolio as well. Moving forward, cash flow is king. If a deal pencils out today and has positive cash flow in today's rates, I feel there's a ton of upside potential regardless of where rates go. I, my, I don't have a crystal ball, but my gut says there's only so much higher they can go. Yeah. But you never know. As we, I don't know when this airs, there was the, the whole Israeli conflict happened this weekend. Oil prices spiked. I feel like you're always, there, we're always one crisis away from 0% interest rates again if yeah. there's the next COVID or the next economic crisis. But you, can, you can't plan for that. You need to really go back to the fundamentals. Solid cash flow. If there's current cash flow, great. A, a solid value add plan, and this goes across. You could do value add in on almost any asset class in any way. It's just finding the inefficiencies. Multifamily is a pretty common playbook. Renovate apartment units, spend ten thousand on a renovation, increase the value by a hundred thousand, and do that times a hundred, and you've raised the value of the building by millions. Self storage. You could add new climate control. Mobile home parks, sometimes you're infilling new homes or selling new homes into the communities to raise your lot, lot rent. Just that That's the key to me is just the fundamentals of just find a deal that has a solid business plan and a value add and that should be resistant across any recession or any capital markets issues. Wow. Are you focusing on any specific asset class given the turmoil right now? Are you buying multifamily? Are you investing in multifamily? I, I, I don't think you're an operator, so you're, you're more of a fund manager. So our, our fund manager itself, I, what are you looking, what are you investing your capital in right now? Yeah, correct. Correct. We're not an operator. And that was a strategic decision, just knowing where I am in life and where our skill set is. Yeah. But I, I think we can make, we could make the same or better returns as a, as a fund manager investing in deals strategically. It's because it's our business models. We're consistently investing every, every month. We're constantly raising capital. So a fund manager looks to us and unless they have just like a rich uncle who's going to write them millions of dollars a check right. every time they have something. There's a need for strategic partners like like us. We're still we're still bullish on multifamily, especially now. There's two different the two last two deals we participated in were bought for eight million less than they would have sold for in, in twenty twenty one at that peak. Got it. And they cash flow now and there's a value add plan. With that said, I still I like self storage. We like mobile home parks. We've done we're on our second light industrial deal. We've got a great partner who finds these small Small industrial buildings, think the type of building that you're renting to an HVAC contractor, an electrician, they need a couple garage doors and some storage space and maybe a, a small office. I know office is a four-letter word right now, but HVAC contractors, th- those blue-collar industries that need garage space and maybe a couple desks for accounts payable and receivable, yeah. those are great, great businesses in constant demand. There's a worker shortage. Everyone I know in that space is largely printing money right now, so those are the tenants that I want. One of the more unique ones that we're invested in now is RV RV park, but also marinas. We're in two freshwater marinas that have an RV park attached, and these are mom and pop owned. 
There are a few private equity and larger companies that will target, but they will only target if there's like a minimum of 5,000 book clips. It's a roll-up play very much like self-storage and mobile home parks were 10 or 15 years ago, where they were almost exclusively mom and pop owned. And then those that can buy and scale, you have a potential exit to a larger company that you're doing their work for them. The one acquisition, the story that was told is they had a woke board and each boat dock, there was a little horizontal post-it note that had the person's name that was renting the boat dock. And they were like checking off if they paid rent that month. Wow. You're not going to get some Wall Street guys to come down and figure that out, but our operating partners willing to do that. And they're willing to sit down and and build relationships with these sellers who really care about who the owner is too. So they actually like that it's not just a Wall Street fund. In addition to Wall Street's generally not going to touch those deals, but they'd probably buy them from our partner when they scale up and own 10 marinas and 5,000 boat docks and right. have a, a real business to sell. And Jack, how so how are your investors looking at the market right now? What, how has you, have you seen a change in how they're evaluating the deal versus how they're talking to you versus the amount you are raising per investor or the amount of calls and the pings you have to make to raise the same amount of money from before versus now? How has the scenario changed for your business and give us a perspective of why do you think it has changed and do you see and how are you addressing that? Sure. It's definitely, there's definitely a lot of fear out there. I'd say the number one thing is just, yeah, we had a 10, 15 year bull run with largely low rates and you had COVID in, in the mix there, but that was within a year, real estate was booming from COVID. So it was went from like a, like a month of fear to, oh, wow, prices are going crazy. So a lot of it is just addressing the fear and just talking about the long-term business plan and, and dollar cost averaging. If I know some investors who through other groups made one or two investments into syndications. And if those first two deals were bridge loans, they're probably not cash flowing right now. And yeah. you're probably a bit worried, but similar to the stock market, similar to really all investing, dollar cost averaging is, is very powerful. It's a famous study that if you put all your money into the stock market in 1929, it would take 12 years to break even. But if you invested in six equal installments before and six, six equal installments after the 1929 crash, right. within a year and a half, you'd be positive. And I think the same goes for real estate, 2007 through 2010, as an example. And so now that's generally the biggest thing I'm preaching is that now the deals now are probably the best we've seen in five to 10 years because those that have to sell right now because they had a bridge loan debt that was coming due and they cannot raise enough capital to refinance into a into a long-term fixed rate, those are motivated sellers. And there's been very few motivated sellers. Now, I don't think that there's going to be a 2008 type crash and residential, absolutely not. There's just so much fixed rate debt. 70% of homeowners either have don't have a mortgage or are locked below 4% interest rate. And so there's inventory shortages everywhere. So that in general will prop up the residential apartment market. And in the residential apartment market, which had the largest amount of bridge loan debt, it's still, I think, only about 10% of the loans that were financed. There's still a ton of family offices and high net worth that got five, seven, 10 year Fannie Mae loans that are just not going to be forced to sell. And there's a lot of money on the sidelines that is ready to pounce when there is a good opportunity. So there's definitely going to be some blood in the streets. There's definitely going to be, we've seen a couple high profile foreclosures in Houston. There's certainly going to be some headlines. Largely, I think it's going to be an orderly market. Some people are going to be forced to sell at a bit of a discount, but I'm not panicked about, and I'm certainly not going to wait fully on the sidelines to try to time the market because I know it's 
proven nearly impossible to, to time the market. I, I agree. So Jack, if somebody were to, if you were talking to a new investor right now, what's one thing they should do to understand their risk, to grasp the idea of what they're doing, how they're doing, how they're looking at it? Because especially if you're new, it's very hard to remove the noise because everyone's telling you that the times are times suck, don't invest, cash is king, all that stuff. You're hearing that consistent drumbeat. <laughs> so if you're a new investor, you're worried, you're scared. How do you, what are you telling investors to make sure they can jump over that fence and say that, yes, I need to go look beyond it? How are you thinking? How, how are you having the communication? Sure. Yeah, I think there's two sides to that. If you're really brand new, the best way to start is just diving into all the free information out there. Podcasts like this, meetup groups, for a minimal cost, live events. I was just at a live event in uh, New Orleans this weekend, and there, there's no substitute for meeting other people that are either in the same boat you are, or even better, if they were in the same boat as you two or three years ago, and they've gotten to know a number of good sponsors. They've made the leap and actually made made investments into the space. For the once you have a little bit of that familiarity, and with our using more current investors or people I already have a rapport with, as an example. It's really figuring out what your, as you mentioned in the call, like you, what is your wealth plan? Are you working for five or 10 more years and then looking to retire? Are you earlier in your stage? Do you have a high W-2 and not really need any current income? Got into this great conversation this weekend at a conference where a group that I know and trust is, has an offering that's more of a 10-year play with, with doing build the rent ground up. Mm-hmm. And they have a, a, a community of people that are high W-2 earners do not need to live off the cash flow. Yeah. They're saying, instead of us paying you 6 to 8% a year, every one or two years, we build a community and we sell it and you make a 20 IRR, great. Yeah, they were saying, if you compound over, ten, over a 10-year period, you could turn a few hundred thousand into three to five million. It's like a 10 to 20-act turn by consistently rolling in your profits. I think that a lot of investors just have that mentality of getting that deposit every month or every quarter with a few hundred dollars, but many of them don't need to live on it. And that was an epiphany for me. And I think I'm going to spend a little more time trying to do a deeper dive with some of the people in my community on their goals and why yeah. why some of the longer term plays. And look, new construction is not without its risks either. A good operator you know, has the right projects. So you're certainly building, building at a cost where it's either going to cash flow better than buying something that's existing. And certainly you have a margin to sell at a profit day one. And I love that because I think it's really about what is your wealth plan, where are you focused, and what is your need for the capital right away? If the need for the capital is, hey, I want to retire in 10 years, very different way of investing versus, hey, I am I'm, I'm quitting my job. I just live off of the cash flow for my investments. It's a very different investment. And not one is better than the other. It's just that they serve different purposes. So instead of chasing the deal, you got to first look at it as, what is your plan? What is your goal? What is your objective? And don't copy anybody else's objective. Develop your own objective and figure out. You can pressure test it with somebody else's to figure out is your if your plan has a whole. And of course, someone like Jack or I would love to have a conversation and try to see if we can help you fix any gaps that we believe there may be. And talk to other syndicators, talk to other people like that, especially the ones who don't have a deal to sell. Because there's going to be no object, there's going to be very objective answer. There's no subjectivity to the to the feedback you're going to get. So I think it's really important. I love that you're saying that I'm going to reassess the wealth plan 
that your current investors have and figure out where can they further deploy their funds to meet that objective, hopefully accelerate it, uh, but if not accelerate, at least help meet the goal. So I love that, Jack. We can continue going on. I think as you were talking about it, if I forgot to hit the record button and we, talk, we ended up talking for 20 minutes, we can keep talking because I love the discussion. I love this topic. There's a lot of passion for mine and you as well. But in the interest of time, we're coming towards the end of our show right now. And I always end the show with two questions, which really is more about your personality and your insights of life in general. The first question is about if there was a 20, 25-year-old individual today trying to walk into your footsteps, what's one advice you'll give to that 20-year-old? I'm going to quote Howard Marks, who's somebody who I've read a number of his books, and it's that history does not repeat itself, but it does rhyme. Mm. I just remember being young and just looking at, trying to look at these various cycles and making some sense of it. And I think that's been proven true. And I think we're starting to see that in this cycle where rates are up, but it's nowhere like 2008. And you just never know. The world is changing so fast that there's, there are certain things that will repeat themselves to some extent, though, but every cycle is likely to be a little different. Love that. And, and Jack, one, we're going we're gonna to take a higher level perspective right now. Where do you feel that humanity as a whole in your own interactions, when you're talking to a lot of people in your business, when you see as uh, a higher level perspective, where do you feel humanity as a whole should migrate towards in the next few days? Yeah, that's a tough one. And especially, it's such a timely question with all this AI stuff going on too, and that you know, there could be a lot less jobs. I think it may, best case scenario is it gives more people the opportunity to do what they love to do in that, or it actually still creates more jobs in one way or another because there just becomes just things we don't even think about right now that, that open things up to just something we didn't think about. Like there was somebody who made buggy whips 100 years ago. And nobody needed buddy whips anymore, but plenty of jobs in the automobile industries. Yeah, I think hopefully people can just find their passion when they can and find a way to monetize their mission, which is one of the things I try to do. And I'm taking that from a speaker I heard at another conference that I'm blanking on. I wish I could give them a shout out, but I thought that was a great quote to monetize your mission. Awesome. Love that, Jack. Jack, thank you again for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing your insights. I know everyone's busy, so we really appreciate our, our guests. And more importantly, if to my listeners, if you are listening to this part of the conversation, that means you have listened to the entire podcast. So thank you for spending your valuable time and giving us the attention it needs to, and hopefully you walk away with some actionable insights that you can incorporate right away. That's our goal to the show. Our goal is to give you an insight that you can implement right away. It's not to turn this into a college platform where all you're doing is learning. There's no learning without actions, and we want you to do. We want you to act, Jack. If somebody wants to get in touch with you, learn more about what you do, and then maybe have a conversation with you, where can they find you? Sure. So our website is JKM Investments. That's J K A M for JK Asset Management, which was my original company. JKMInvestments.com. We're also on all social media. My my personal media, Jack J Krupe, Jack Krupe on Facebook. Instagram. We have a Facebook group and we have our own podcast and I'd love to have you on our show in the future as well. I love that, Jack. Let's make it happen. Let's definitely make that happen because I love creating this content because it's really a conversation and no one's right, no one's wrong, but it's good to see where personal thesis are. Jack, we will make sure that all your show, uh, all the information that you shared is going to be part of the show notes and I really wish you good luck in everything you do and everything you're pursuing and thank you for being so passionate about helping people. Really appreciate that. Great. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It was a great, great time and I love what you're doing. 
Thank you, buddy. My great to wealth listeners, if you own and manage real estate, maybe you're ready for a lifestyle change. By selling your real estate, of course, you may have to pay substantial capital gain taxes. One option that may help you solve this is to learn about doing a 1031 tax deferred real estate exchange because you may be able to defer all of the capital gain taxes and you could even exchange into a replacement property that may allow you to get rid of all of the headaches that are involved with being an active landlord. My friend Ray Druitt is a managing director with Bangerter Financial Services and his goal is to help you understand all of the rules associated with 1031 exchanges. To learn more, you may call him directly at 801-312-9482. Once again, it's 801-312-9482. Or you may visit his website at 1031.bangerterfinancial.com slash 1031guy. Please be sure to see disclosures in the show notes. If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.